This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Um, the topic that has been chosen over here is a fascinating topic. Um, I understand that leading up to this 50th year of Yom Yerushalayim, different aspects of Yerushalayim have been uh, given out to different speakers, and we will be speaking about Yekir Yerushalayim. I, I understand that that's the general topic to um, to find people that Yerushalayim lived in Yerushalayim and are part of the greatness of the city. And the one that I was chosen to speak about is my late brother-in-law, Mira Shashiva Rosen Svi Finkel. Um, his life was so incredibly full of events and doings and much of it recorded. He was somebody who was able to connect with so many people that it really, really um, it needs a lot of effort to limit the stories. But I want to focus on something more about being Anshi Yerushalayim. In other words, the fact that he lived in Yerushalayim, the fact that he operated in Yerushalayim, is special. Now, there are two ways in which we look at these Anshe Yerushalayim. And the Gemara uses that terms, Anshe Yerushalayim, and so on. One is, we expect a place that's very, very rife in sanctity, in Kedusha, and so on, will produce great people. That we expect, and, um, and it has, and there are great people who we can speak about their greatness being special because they were in Shlaim. But there is also some element of obligation, which is um, because you live in Shlaim, you're obligated to act in a certain way. Now, one element of it is to act as a paradigm and to be a very, very special person, to show, to demonstrate Kedusha and sensitivity and Midos and uh, Torah, that's an obvious. But there's another element which I would say is the acting as an ambassador of that which Yerushalayim stands for. And that becomes a, your role in sort of bridging the Kedusha Yerushalayim with the world outside in many different ways. I think my brother was unique in that. His own background was very American, came from Chicago, in a modern background, um, went to a what we would call today a modern Orthodox high school, um, came to Yerushalayim, became absorbed in the Kedusha of Yerushalayim, was, 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 was extremely, extremely taken by everything that Yerushalayim has to offer, his, some of his closest Chavrus's friends were Yerushalmi, but he later, as he became Rosh Hashiva, acted as, let's call it, an ambassador to the world outside. And it's in this role that I'd like to point out possibly two, three elements that Chazal give us that I think he exemplified. The first thing is a Gemara Kedushin. It says that when people would come to Yerushalayim and they would bring the Bikurim, they would make a big parade. It was something very, very uh, meaningful, and they would uh, come there, and they would, uh, you know, uh, um, be bring uh, uh, their offerings in a basket, decorated, music, etc. 
it says that the notables and dignitaries of Yerushalayim would join them and continue with the parade to the Beis HaMikdash. And the reason is because Nimsis Machshin Lasadlavo. If you're not going to make a big to-do and a big tumult on it, um, they will not possibly come back. And Rashi says, they won't bring more. They will say that people look down at us, and that's why. The question is why. Um, in the in the Gemara, it seems like a cursory glance at the Gemara is because maybe people weren't standing up for them. People who were working didn't interrupt their work to stand up. But that seems to be not quite it. So, so what is the what is the point? What's the problem there? So, the Ben Yishchai, who has a commentary on Agaritas, says the following pshat. He says that we have to let's let's picture what's happening here. The Yerushalayim is full with many many uh, with many many. Uh, um, offerings of uh, sanctity. For instance, um, you have true maizra, which is like 10% that you bring for the levium. You bring carbonals, which are very expensive. The, the whole city is chock full of large amounts of various uh, sacred articles that people had uh, been um, that people had brought to your shrine. Bikurim itself is very, very little, really. You know, it's the first fruits, it's just the beginning, and the main thing is to get the first fruit, you know, and whatever comes first to bring it. You brought it in a basket. So a person would come into your shalayim and he would see this tiny, tiny, he would, he would, he would, you know, he'd come in thinking, oh, I'm bringing beautiful offerings with a whole parade, and he would bring a basket full of fruits. And he'd come in and he would see these huge mounts of trumas and maestris and carbonis and so on. And he would, and he would feel really down. He would feel kind of, uh, what am I? Um, you know, who am I? It's, it's nothing. Imagine you coming to somebody's house who's um, your, your guest at somebody and you didn't quite realize and you bring some sort of gift that's worth $30, $35 in your budget, that's nice. You walk in and you see this person is, is, is a billionaire. This person has got a huge action and your little trinket looks so silly and stupid and, and you feel really down. So they needed to make an effort to reach out to them and be macabre upon them. I want to add, it does not, we're not talking about a ploy. Like a little kid, you pat him on his back and you say, "Yes, my dear child, this is just a beautiful picture. It's it's a Rembrandt in the waiting, when it's basically a few a few crayon strokes. It's it, that's not it, it, a put on is not what we're talking about. One needs to value the two poles of kedusha. There's the the accomplishment, the the end goal." Where a person has accumulated at the end of the of the of the harvest a huge amount, and he brings in havilas amaisus, bring in the maisus. That's a huge amount. That that's that's an extraordinary amount. And that's very very impressive. But the first step, 
and the first drop is very meaningful and even though you live in your shalayim you need to be able to have the appreciation for that first step as well for that first drop of Kedusha because it is as meaningful my brother-in-law when he came to the May Yeshiva he was a neophyte he was an American kid he barely knew how to learn a Gemara and he you know he struggled he spent a lot of hours uh, you know he spent an extraordinary amount of time and he became the great person he was the great scholar he was but he, his first steps were real first steps he never forgot the value of that first step there's a story that um, I've written and said over but worth saying over again and again um, there was once a boy who came to the yeshiva with a lot of difficulties in sitting and learning today we have terminology for it ADD or whatever ADHD but in those days were just kind of generic nosis flesh my brother-in-law took an interest in him and was able to get him to have an hour here, an hour there. You know, his, his Seder was an hour here, an hour there. One day, my brother used to have these campaigns where he would ask people to learn X amount of time, X amount of, of pages, uh, etc., in a certain time and give prizes for it. And sure enough, he had this 12-hour day campaign where if you learning 12 hours for a month or whatever it is, and then he would give everybody some sort of award and so on. He put up a list in yeshiva, asking people to sign up for it. And then when, they, when the sign-up period finished, they brought him a list. He looked at it and he said, you know, that boy, you know, the one who learns the hour a day, he's missing on the list. I'm putting him on. Um, tell him I'm putting him on. He comes, so the, the person from let's go to the boy and says, Rosh Shiva has written you up. He says, he's got to be kidding. I'm going for one hour to 12 hours. That's, that's insane. He went back to Rosh Shiva. Rosh Shiva said, no, I think this is good for him. And he signed him up. One day, he, you know, like he was sort of, uh, with all of it, all of, with all the, the, the rackets, he's, you know, he pushed himself. He did one day, second day, third day began faltering. And as it started becoming night, he realized he's still missing quite a bit of time. And he took a safer to his bed and started looking at it. And um, he fell asleep with it. He was very tired, he fell asleep. And um, he woke up like at six in the morning, as not wasn't so comfortable sleeping with shoes and everything else. And the safer was in his face and he just started, continued learning. And then it dawned on him where he is, what time it is. It's the first time in his life he got gotten up anywhere near that hour. It's the first time he'd been so immersed in learning. It's the first time that the learning came to him so you know, readily, like he was now with her. He was so thrilled, he, he ran to my brother's house, knocked on the door at 6.10, 6.15. My brother answered and he told him what happened. And my brother-in-law was so excited, he pulled him in and he had him go to, to the closet, the cabinet, pull out a bottle of wine and make a l'chaim. The halachic issues with making l'chaim for davening, I will leave to the uh, postcom to solve. But the understanding that this moment, the first step into real learning, 
is so precious and so valuable, that was the equivalent of Bikurim. And my, it wasn't a ploy. My brother genuinely appreciated it. And that's why people who came to the Mir Yeshiva, which was an extraordinary Yeshiva, and a Yeshiva on, on a very, very high level, produced tremendous um, scholars. But many people took their first steps in Yeshiva. And a lot had to do with the appreciation for Bikurim, so to speak, for that first fruit that my brother had and gave over to people how valuable it was. There's a second element of being an ambassador and that I would like to share is um, it says that the person who would take the um, the offering, the Sarel Azazel, that was on Yom Kippur, that was the offering that was cast away in the desert. It wasn't really an offering, it was just thrown to its death. Um, that's the famous scapegoat and it would work at some point in the in the avoda after the vidu and everything a, a a kohen would take it out to the distance to the to the judean desert to the mountains on top of the judean desert toss it over and so on it was in kippah it was hot deserty and it was quite a distance and hauling a goat down that distance was taxing and it was in kippah people are fasting so they arranged to have um, little sukkos, which are sort of booths every kilometer or so, and he always had the option to eat or to drink because um, just having the option itself would make him feel, okay, you know, I can wait a bit longer, that would help him actually fast. So if he needed to, he could eat or drink. The idea that he always had that option also made it much easier and, and, and so on. The, um, the, the, so it says that Anshi Yerushalayim would accompany the um, would accompany the person to those um, sukkahs. It says they would they Yerushalayim melavnois at sukkah They would accompany him all the way to that first sukkah. It it, it was obviously a, a way to help the person feel good, comfortable. It's not, it, it, it's sort of debilitating when you sort of have to walk out alone and you're the guy going off to the desert. And this was something that was a big chizuk for a person that he's not going off alone, but he's being accompanied to, to wherever he has to go. And that was the um, sort of uh, chizuk that they gave him. I want to try to, um, to, uh, to, to make this very contemporary. People are in the Beis HaMikdash of our generation, which are the yeshivas, and especially yeshiva in Yisrael, and especially yeshiva like the yeshiva. People are there, and they are immersed in Ketusha, and that's, that's tremendous. But when you're immersed in Ketusha, you have to leave and go out to the desert. Even if we have a shul as wonderful as, and a community as wonderful as we have here, still, at the end of the day, it's something that is very, very far. And it's, it's disheartening. And it's not easy always. My brother-in-law kept a very, very strong um, kesher. He, he, he always reached out to the people of the yeshiva, no matter where, and gave them the sense that he was with them. Sometimes it was a tremendous effort. 
always reaching out at the dinner, at the yeshiva dinners, the main event would be before the dinner, my brother would sit there and people would come to say hello. There'd be easily a thousand people there walking by and saying hello. He would touch everyone by name, you know, and, and mention something about what's happening with their lives and what's going on. I want to tell a story that I heard from a person um, who was um, an individual um, who, this is about him. A few years ago, I got a phone call from somebody from a suburb, somebody from a suburb near Maryland, near Silver Springs called Bethesda. He said um, his name is so-and-so, Tzvi something, and he would like to come and speak to me. I said, fine. He said he's, he's, he's in the army and he's now stationed here for a few days, like to speak to me. I said, fine. person comes in, he looks like a very from Jew. On the other hand, it's clear that he's an army officer of some sort. And he tells us about his story. He said he learned in the yeshiva. He learned some other yeshiva, but then he learned in the yeshiva as, 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 as when he was single. Came back to America, got married, came back again, learned a few more years. Somehow his area of interest led him to strangest places. He lived in places that had very little Jewish community, um, had a lot of, lot of um, challenges. He lived, and then a bunch of years ago, he joined the army. He worked as a specialist of some sort. I, I don't remember what his field, maybe psychology. And uh, he was, um, and and uh, now he was he was stationed here for a while, and he's finishing soon. Revitis, and he came to talk to me. He said, you know, I looked at him. Wow, how does a person keep that Yiddishkeit? I mean, he really. The area of work that he worked in, the area of psychology and the places that he had been were really off the map as far as Yiddishkeit was concerned. He told me, I want to tell you something. When I came back to the Mir Yeshiva after I was married and I walked in unannounced to the Roshiva's house, he looked up at me, he smiled and he said, Welcome home to me. And he said, that welcome home, with that look on his face, is what has held on to me all these years. So, the accompanying the person uh, to the first station towards the desert is something that is vital if the yeshiva education is to be meaningful continuing going forward. And my brother-in-law did that to an extreme. That's a second element of being an ambassador of Yerushalayim to the world around. And finally, one more point I'd like to make about Anshi Yerushalayim, which I think was appropriate, and this is um, as somebody who stood between two worlds. It says, the halacha is, it's a machlokis, if a person, when he ties the lulav with the uh, with the aravis and the um, the lulav with the aravis and adasim together, should or could a person tie it with anything other than lulav material? So the Mishnah says in Ognes Lulav Bemino, you can only use um, lulav material to tie a lulav with. That's what Behuda says. Reb Meir says, even a thread or whatever it is, Reb Meir says, um, I bring you proof. The people in Yerushalayim, Anch Yerushalayim, would um, tie the lulav begimoni yeshal zohav with uh, it's some sort of 
ring of gold. This enhanced the mitzvah is beautiful, is nice. So you see, it does not have to be of the same kind. Halachically, there's always a preference for the same kind, because that's not a chatzitza, it's a hider in, in halachically to be of, of um, uh, the same kind. So here you have the Anshir Shlayim who would do it um, with gold, so obviously you don't need to have it. So they replied to him, no, you ha- don't have it right. They would tie it with the, the, with a lulav frond, with a, with a piece of lulav on the bottom, and on top of that, they would put the gold. But the tying, what held the lulav together, was mina, was of its kind. I won't apply this um, to the yeshiva. The, 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 the Torah and studying of Torah has a certain culture. And it's a culture that is innate to the to the um, to, to to that world. It's 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 a culture of simplicity, ascetism, and things of that nature. When when I came to me yeshiva, I, I can't tell you how difficult it was. There was no heating, food was very skimpy, the beds were thin and hard, etc. And it and it is something. This is the culture of Torah, Pasmalach Torah, but it also served as a, a, a hurdle, an obstacle for people who are coming from other countries, from a different background, to, to, to be able to make that leap into a place that was so unattractive was a problem. My brother Nozachan of Racha, Reb Nosson Tzvi, bedecked, made the yeshiva nice. He built, he, 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 he made the food was extremely good, etc., etc., etc. But he always made sure that the inner flavor was simplicity. You went to his house, it was roomy, but it was, it was simple, as simpler than simple. He, 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 everything was made to serve its purpose and that's it. It was a balance between having the gold on the outside to attract people and the mino to retain the flavor. Torah itself cannot be learned in an armchair. With, with, with the you know with, with your feet up, it needs with your you need to be bent over. Torah itself can't be learned when 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 you have you know, after a major gourmet meal. Torah itself needs a simplicity of life, but the the outside wrapper needs to be attractive to people so that people would come. The um, people would um, people would then be uh, people would at that time. So my brother, when he built the building, so the architect at the Shiva told me the following, that the outside of the building was very imposing. They built Brachfeld, which was is Israeli Shiva. The, he was involved in every step of the planning. The outside, the presentation was very beautiful. He also sat on everything on the inside to make sure there's nothing there that would detract from learning. Every single element there was made to be um, to be conducive to learning by not distracting. There was no areas for lounging, no areas for comfort, no areas for doing anything but what would be ideal to bring out the learning. That was a balance. That was sort of Anshir Shalayim being able to balance your Shalayim with the, with the world around. That exactly like the Mishnah says, um, they were ignorant of them, but but 
the, the really what the, the 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 thread that kept it together was of the same kind. The 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 the, the life that you had in yeshiva was yeshivish, but it was able he was able to give it what needed the platform to make it palatable for someone to walk in, to make it attractive, a gateway for someone to walk in. But inside was Mino. So those are three of the many points. Um, like I said, Anshi Yerushalayim is a wonderful topic to speak about the people that, that, that made Yerushalayim great and were great because of Yerushalayim. Um, my brother as someone who was the Ish Yerushalayim towards the outside world, exemplified the being the ambassador of everything that Yerushalayim stands for. Definitely this was something that fit him. And like we said, his ability to appreciate the people who would come the first time to Yerushalayim, the Bikurim, his ability to accompany the people coming out of Yerushalayim and going to the desert, so to speak, and being there for them, and finally the people coming back, and and, and, and finally making, making the setting something that retains the true flavor of Torah and yet is attractive to the one outside. May Inischus, may Yerushalayim be built in and may we be Zohar to all the Adjir Yerushalayim once again with us.